Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Celebrating Joy podcast. I'm Mary Turner, and I have a special guest with me today. His name is Joe Dalrymple, and I'm so excited to have him on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. So, Joe, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, your walk with the Lord, where you're at? Just give us who you are. Yeah, absolutely. That's that. That could answer that a lot of ways. Um, my name is Joe. I currently am a, a youth pastor in Dallas. Um, I work at Lake Point Church. It's a it's a blessing of a place to be. I've been there for about a year. Prior to that, I've been in ministry for a couple of years now. I think like pushing four years at like three and three quarters, and then uh, I graduated from Lee University in pastoral ministry. So that's like my resume. Um, but as far as, as far as who I am, I'm just child of God. I feel like that's the best way to put it. (laughs) Trying to keep it concise out here. Yeah. I love it. So you have already pursued ministry and you're in vocational ministry and serving as a pastor at a church at such a young age. Like, can you tell the audience just how you got to that point and how you knew that the Lord was just calling you to serve? Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to continue to hit you with Christian cliches, but (laughs) the Lord is, uh, the Lord is super faithful. I think that's the best way to, to depict how I got to where I am. Um, I received the call at a young age for sure. It was my sophomore year at summer camp of all places. Uh, that's where I, so the prior year was when I had given my life to Jesus. And then I spent that entire freshman year chasing after the Lord and just falling deeper and deeper in love with him. And I got to camp and I had started kind of meeting with and working with my youth pastor unofficially. And I just loved what I was doing. And I got this, I got this feeling from God that I wasn't called to be behind a desk and that I couldn't just uh, do a a professional job that was outside of vocational ministry. And those jobs are, are, are huge ministries as well. And we can get into that later, but I just knew for me, I needed to be in vocational ministry and I needed to be in the church. And I knew I wouldn't be happy doing anything else. And I knew that I wouldn't feel fulfilled. And like I was walking in the calling the Lord had for me, if I was doing anything else besides pastoring people. So I uh, committed my life to ministry at sophomore year. And then I just did whatever I had to do to get to ministry. So I did another year of school in person and then I switched to online high school to be able to intern at a church like 20 hours a week while I was in high school. Then I went to college and I found a bunch of different internships. And honestly, it's just been getting to something and and working in it until the Lord calls me to whatever is next. And when you look in the Bible, there's a lot of examples of people who move around a lot because ministry is just one big family. And I, I try to stay rooted and planted where I am until the Lord tells me to to go. And that's kind of been how I've been in ministry. And honestly, the Lord has been so faithful to bless me with opportunities that I don't deserve and that I'm definitely not qualified for. But it's been fun to learn and to grow and to see what he has for me um, in the ministry world. And it's definitely hard as a young person, but I enjoy it a lot. And it's just such a such a cool way to learn from people who are so much more experienced than me. Wow. That's awesome. And it's just so cool to see like at a young age, you felt this calling from the Lord and were like so obedient to follow and you didn't let your age stop you. Like you found a way Mm -hmm. to do online school and to like work under people who are more wise. And like, 
That is so awesome. And like during that time, was there any point when you were just like terrified and just like scared and didn't know what you were going to do or like moving out to Texas? Like tell us about that. Yeah, there's always a there's always a healthy fear. I think that goes alongside ministry. And I think there's a practical reason for it. And then there's a spiritual reason for it. The practical reason is that is that ministry is uh, ministry is not the most well-paying job. And there's always a fear that you're not going to have enough money to survive and you're not going to be able to uh, be successful where you are. So there's always a fear with that. And I grew up in a family where my dad is a lawyer, my sister is a lawyer, uh, my mom works in the legal field. So they're all doing very well. And I had this pressure to select a job that was going to pay well and that was going to pay the bills. And I, I knew I felt called to what the Lord had for me, but also there was always a fear of, man, could I be doing something else just as well and making so much more money and being well well off and being able to use that money to bless the the church? So there's always a fear of, am I doing the right thing? But the Lord's always faithful to confirm that you're in the right place. Um, the funny thing is I actually, I moved to Dallas because of fear. I had a, uh, I was, I was finishing up an internship at Elevation Church. And at the time I wanted to work there, but I, I felt like I wasn't ready. And I felt like I was a little too young to work in a system as established as that one. So my, my mentor at the time, he said, Hey dude, he was like, you're single. You have nobody attached to you. It's just you making decisions for you. Do something that scares the heck out of you and do something that stretches you something that you think you would never do. And something that you know is going to just be terrifying. And I was like, all right. So I started looking all over the country to try to move somewhere and, and find a ministry spot. And my goal was to try to find a job where I wouldn't be the, the man in charge because I knew that my pride would love that, but I knew that I wasn't ready for that at all. And I really needed to be working under somebody so that I could be pastoring, but also being pastored at the same time. So I, I found Lake Point and I just fell in love with their ministry and I get to pastor students, but I also get to be pastored by a youth pastor as well. So yeah. just as much as I'm pouring out, he's filling me up and I'm learning and it has been absolutely stretching and absolutely terrifying at times to to be out here alone and to be 15, 16 hours away from my family and to be paying for all these things I've never paid for and mm -hmm. figuring out that I didn't know how to cook as well as I thought I did and all that stuff. But it has been a, it's been a, it's been again, it's been the favor of God to help me get through these things, but it's always scary. Um, it's never easy. Ministry is never easy. It's the most taxing and rewarding job always at the same time. Mm -hmm. But again, when the Lord's calling you into it and you know, you're supposed to be there, you enjoy everything, even the, even the hard parts and even the parts that are scary, you still find joy and peace in them because you know, you're where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. And I think I love what you said about that there's like a healthy amount of fear. Like, I think yeah. that's what the Lord kind of gives us. And he um, still gives you that peace and joy during the middle of it. Like when you're in that chaotic season, like you're still going to feel this like joy from the Lord because like he's mm. with you, the Holy Spirit's with you. And so that's yeah. so awesome. Um, So with you being so young and moving out to just, serve the Lord. Like what does discipline in your walk with the Lord look like? You have to obviously remain super faithful when pastoring youth kids. And when you're just talking with other people, like how does discipline yeah. in your walk help you? And how do you kind of go through that? Hey, that's a brilliant question. Um, 
discipline is discipline is everything. It's um, it's so hard to describe exact all the all the intricacies of of what that looks like in a daily life. But I think as spiritual discipline is very important. And again, I like to go practical and spiritual because I know there's some people that don't want to get over spiritualized. But there's also some people that want to hear the spiritual aspects of things too. So I try to provide both always. Practically, um, as a young person in ministry, there's a couple of things you have to think about. Number one is you're very close in age to the people that you're pastoring. So there is a level of reproach that you have to live above that maybe a 30-year-old married pastor wouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the ministry world, a lot of these students that I'm pastoring, I could be friends with because I'm 21 and they're 18 and 19. That's not weird. But inside the confines of ministry, I can't. So there's things that you have to adjust to. And I think that's a big one for me is just being young and single in ministry. There are always eyes on you because you're young and people assume that you're going to fail and people assume that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to mess up. So there is a target on your back in a sense, and it's not a harsh one at all. People are paying attention to what you're doing and they're trying to see if you're legit or not. And they're trying to see if the decision they make to hire you so young was a good decision. So you feel extra eyes that maybe somebody a little bit older and a little bit more experienced wouldn't have. So it's definitely in it. And being a pastor is a heightened calling. I mean, if you look in the book of James, he tells, he says, not everybody should be a pastor. Mm -hmm. So you know that when you step into that calling, it's not something that everybody's supposed to do. And you have to live in a way that's not like what normal followers of Jesus are called to live. You have to live above an even higher approach line because now I'm no longer uh, walking my own faith, but I'm leading people and I'm saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. So now I'm telling you the way that I walk and the way that I speak and the way that I carry myself, that is reflective of who Jesus is. So mm-hmm. it's, it's putting a heightened calling on yourself. And it's one that you have to uh, honor the mandate of always. So the practical side of things is you have to live in a way constantly that's honoring and holy to God. And you have to put a microscope over every decision you make and over everything you say and every person you talk to. And it sounds super scary, but that's the price you pay for being in ministry. And it's one again that I love it because I know I'm supposed to be here and I find so much joy in being holy and trying to represent Jesus. Obviously I don't do it perfectly at all. There's been plenty of mistakes. There's things that you learn as you go that you didn't even know. Uh, A big one for me was that perception is super important. Um, I can be a hundred percent honest and holy and clear, but there's still things that I could be doing that I could feel great about, but to somebody else could look crazy or could look wrong. And I think a good example is, is parents. I, I, I pastor students and parents are looking at how I pastor their students. So I could say something or do something that to me, I'm, my conscience is clear. I, I feel great about that. That wasn't bad, but they could look at it with their eyes, not knowing context, not knowing me, not knowing what happened. And they could see one statement or they could see one action and they could be like, he's this and that. And I'm not going to let my kid be in that ministry anymore. And now I don't have a chance to pastor your student anymore. So perception is something that you always have to pay attention to, which means a lot of times you're going to have to live higher than you feel like is necessary. And you're gonna have to do things you may not want to do and live in a way you may not totally want to live, but you are trying to make sure that you are putting off a good example to the people that don't get to see the intricacy of what you do, but just get to see it from a very out outward and exterior view with very limited information. That's, that's what, that's the practical side. I'm in the spiritual side of disciplines and I'll try to keep it short, but (laughs) discipline is, uh, we're called to it. If you read the book of Proverbs, 
I mean, and, and you type, if you type in discipline in the book of Proverbs, I guarantee it's in there at least 10 times. I think Proverbs 17 talks a lot about heeding discipline and Solomon's super candid with the way that he speaks in the book of Proverbs. He says, those who heed discipline are, are wise and those who don't are stupid. I believe that's the word that he puts in there. And I love that. And there's such a, there's such a truth behind that, that heeding discipline and walking in discipline is, is walking in the way of the Lord. And Jesus walked with so much discipline and he disciplined himself in so many ways. And if we're in the business of trying to be like him, then we should try to do the things he did and say the things that he said. And Jesus, Jesus didn't say, go do this, but he always was giving an invitation. He said, come follow me. So if I'm going to come and follow you, you're saying, instead of me just telling you what to do, come watch me and then learn from me because he was seen as a rabbi, as a teacher. So Mm -hmm. we should look to him as a teacher. So if my spiritual discipline journey has been looking to Jesus as a teacher and saying, teach me how to live, teach me how to talk, teach me how to walk. And I just want to be with you and become more like you. And then once I feel like I've became more like you, just start doing the things that you would do. And what I saw him do was he disciplined himself. He, he rested, which is a huge discipline, rest and Sabbath. That's anchored my life. I need time away from ministry where I'm just focusing on doing life-giving things to me. He, uh, he fasted which is something you're supposed to keep quiet. So I won't talk about my fasting too much, but he fasted and fasting is saying I can control my desires. And even when I feel like I need food, I don't need food because God will sustain me. So when you get into every other aspect of sin, even if you feel like you have to do something or you desire to do something, fasting teaches you that even when you desire something, you don't have to quench that desire because God is enough. So fasting is so important. Resting is so important. And I think the biggest discipline for me has been, has been just studying studying scripture and memorizing scripture for the longest time. I thought just reading every day was enough, but when you meditate on the words of God and you let them dwell within you and you memorize them, you really have weapons against the enemy. And I think a cool thing that John Mark Comer says, and I'll finish with this is he he calls it changing the channel. And it's like attach a verse or attach a passage of scripture to every sin. So whenever you get tempted in that sin, you change the channel to that verse and you start you start reciting that verse and it, and it gets you out of whatever you're walking in or whatever you're feeling tempted into. So to be, to be able to do that successfully, you have to memorize scripture. So scripture memorization has been huge, but that's just a couple. And there's so many more disciplines, but you kind of just find the disciplines that, that you're like, you know what, that interests me. And I like seeing the fruit of what happens when I do that well. And then you just have to do them and they're hard at first, but over time they become second nature. Now it's like, Sabbath is the same to me as eating and sleeping. Like it's just a part of my life and it's always going to happen no matter what gets in the way of it. Yeah. Wow. Come on. That was so good. And like you hit on so many good points, but one of them I like really loved is you talked about like solitude, like how Jesus went and withdrew and yeah. like had solitude and like spent time in prayer. And like that is just so crucial as a believer to really take that Sabbath and take that rest and spend Absolutely. it with the Lord. Um, and I think it's can be really hard in this world. And there's a lot of distractions and a lot of worldly things that are pulling at our attention. But when you withdraw and just sit in solitude with the Lord, you really see so much good come out of it. And I really mm-hmm. love that you hit on that. I also yeah. want to ask you, with you being kind of a young pastor that people would, do they look at look down at you and do when you get those people that kind of give you negative um energy i guess how do you kind of combat that like how do you um still love and care for them even when they might be doubting you that's a that's a good question well i'll preface that question by saying 
I don't face a lot of that at my church and that's a blessing. I'm at a, uh, I'm at a church that champions young people and I'm at a church that loves young people in ministry and that nobody there is in judgment. They're all in the biggest support. And when I first got there, I felt like a celebrity. Um, Everybody, everybody was like, man, there's a young person here and I want to meet with him and I want to get to know him. And it was such a blessing because I was scared that I was going to face a lot of disrespect and dishonor. And I, and I didn't face that at all. So I would say going into that, that I probably haven't seen as much of that as some people in other churches and ministries have because no church does everything perfectly, but mine does young people very well. And we just opened a school of ministry. So now we're really pushing towards the age that I'm at 21, 22, 23, and we're championing that age because we realize that's the future of ministry. So that's a blessing. Um, But I've definitely been in places where that was not the case. And I think ultimately it's a, uh, it's a tradition thing. There's not a lot of, when you look back in the Bible, which is funny because so many apostles and so many of the uh, disciples were all very young guys. They were all 16 through 24 year olds. Um, And even Jesus was doing ministry prior to that age. But a lot of the religious leaders and lawmakers at the time uh, were abiding to strict laws that were keeping people around 30 to 40. And uh, biblical times sees age in a different way. So like zero to 30 is young. And then 31 to 50 is like middle age. And then a 50 and above is, is adult or elder. So a lot of these people that are like 29 in the ministry and have been doing it for 12 years and back in biblical times, you would have still been seen as a young person and somebody who needs to be looking up to the generation. And I think ultimately it's, it's a, uh, it's just a, something we're going to have to assimilate to. And for the longest time, churches were very harsh and strict with young people and they wanted only adults serving and leading and uh, working full time. And the times are changing and there's so many young people uh, that are hungry and that are filling the church. So I think a lot of churches are adjusting some faster than others. But uh, as a young person, for me, what I've had to learn with that is that no matter what you do, and this is a life lesson beyond a ministry lesson, you're never going to be in a place where everyone loves you and supports you. Yeah. There will always be someone or multiple people that don't, and you're going to have to live with that tension. Mm-hmm. If you're somebody like me, who's, who's a people pleaser and who hates the idea know. of somebody not liking you and, and it just breaks you apart. And that was me. Like I could have hundreds of people love me, but if one person was upset by me and I couldn't figure out why I would go home and cry about it because <laughs> I just wanted to please everyone and I wanted to make everybody happy. Yeah. But think about Jesus. He's the most loving and kind and joyful man to walk the earth. And he's, he's brilliant and intelligent. He has all these great qualities and he was still hated by so many. Mm-hmm. but he carried that tension so well. And you never saw a difference in the way that he treated people between the ones that loved him and the ones that hated him. If anything, I would say he probably loved the ones that hated him a little bit better and provided for them a little bit more than he did the ones that did love him. So again, it all comes back to being with Jesus and being like Jesus. And when you study his ministry and you study the way he walked and the way he acted and the way he talked, he never looked down upon the people who hated him. And he never disrespected the people who looked down upon him and who doubted his ministry. He loved them well. And I don't believe that he did that just on his own, but he did it because he was fueled by the father and he was having consistent and continual meetings with God. And he was constantly running off by himself to be with the Lord and to be refilled because he knew that he needed that to be able to go out and be successful and be loving. And Mm -hmm. it's been the same way for me. I've realized that how I react to people and how I love people is always influenced by how much time I'm spending alone with the father. And if 
you know, the days where you wake up and you forget to get in your word or you forget to pray and you're like, I feel a little more irritable today. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's funny and it's cliche, but it's really true. Like I look back in the days where I'm the least loving and the days where I fall into the most sin. And it's always the days where I didn't spend enough time with the father before I went out to be around people. And Jesus gives us this like oscillating cycle of being alone and then being filled and resting and Sabbath and then going out and pouring out and loving. And it's like a back and forth. And if you're not on that continual back and forth and you lose one of them, you're going to fail in the other area. Mm-hmm. So ultimately it's a, uh, it's a both and you need to be able to manage the tension and help, help and change things where you can, but also just be able to love people past that and look at the character of Jesus and try to emulate it to the best of your ability, knowing that you're not going to do it perfectly and that nobody's ever going to react perfectly either. Yeah. I love that. I'm a big people pleaser. So I relate to that yeah. and learning that you can't please everyone. And not everyone's going to love you, but you can still love them as Jesus loves them. Absolutely. It's massive. Learning that has been crucial. Um, So a question we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but I kind of wanted just to see what is, what does discipline look like for people who aren't necessarily pursuing like vocational ministry, but people who still want to work a desk job or want to do something completely different from working in a church? Yeah. What does that look like i think it's a really important thing for people to realize that their life is a ministry and not just absolutely working in a church yeah well i mean like you said it's perfect i think you hit it pretty well life our life is is ministry and just because you're not in vocational ministry it doesn't mean that the calling you're walking in is uh, not just as important if not more important and i say this all the time i get a head start on those people because i work at a church the ones that are walking into my building they at least know that they're going into church. So mm-hmm. I already have the advantage of they know where they are yeah. versus the people you run into in the workforce. They're not in church and they may have never heard of church. So mm-hmm. I get to get the people that are, that those people that are non-vocational ministry bring to me. So my job doesn't function well if the people outside of ministry aren't doing theirs well. Mm-hmm. I never get students walking in my door for the first time if there wasn't students that already love Jesus bringing them into the doors. Mm-hmm. So we have to work together and it has to be a it has to be a union of the people in the body uh, between those in vocational and those in non-vocational. And when you look at the Great Commission, I mean, the Great Commission wasn't just for people in ministry. The Great Commission was for everybody. And yeah. I think what happens is there's so many people that are waiting for God to call them to something or to somewhere. And they're waiting for that specific voice from him, but you already got it in the great commission. So you don't have to wait. I think that we're called to go. And the only time you shouldn't be going is if Jesus calls you to stay. So unless Jesus calls you to stay, you need to be going out constantly. Um, And the way you discipline yourself as somebody outside of ministry, I think is it's hard because you're not forced to be around as many Christians. Like I I'm a professional Christian, so I get to work with hundreds of them every day, and almost everybody I'm always around follows Jesus, so it makes it easier for me. So I may not be the best person to even ask about this, but from what I see on the inside looking out is ultimately it comes down to the same disciplines, whether you're in or out of ministry. Mm-hmm. Like we have to we have to be with God. And I think I think like John 15, just remaining in him and it's just such an easy thing to do, but it's such a hard thing to do at the same time. But uh mm-hmm. the metaphor that he uses is of a branch and and Jesus is He's the source. And if we stay connected to the source, then we'll constantly be refilled. But if we get disconnected from the source, then we won't be. And he calls us to abide in him and to abide is to remain uh, one. I think the message even says to make your home within, 
which is super cool. So the way I look at it is if I'm making my home within Jesus, he will make his home within me and we'll have a transaction. So for those outside of ministry, it's just continuing to abide in him and make your home in him. He's going to come, he's going to speak to you. He's, you're going to hear from him. He's going to call you to certain people into certain areas, but ultimately you're saying, how can I do what I'm doing right now to bring the most glory to God? And I think the way you find your, your call outside of vocational ministry is saying, okay, what gifts do I have? Mm-hmm. And how can I use these gifts in the workforce to bring glory to God? And when you find where those two things meet, do that, do it well, but also see every day in the office or every day in the studio or every day on the court, wherever you are as an opportunity to do ministry. And it may look a little different for you. Like I can skip right to the Bible and I can skip right to the preaching and praying because they're in, they're in my building and they're in my church. But those people, it may, it may take months of planting and watering. It may take months of conversation that has nothing to do with Jesus at all, just so you can get close enough in a relationship with that person to be able to speak into their life. And you can't look at it as like a task. But what I've, what I've learned is when we are faithful to God, he will be effective. So the best thing I try to do with, with people outside of the church world is I say, man, put a stone in their shoe. That's the best way I've ever heard it, heard it said. Um, because when you have a stone in your shoe, you know you have a stone in your shoe yeah. and you can't stop thinking about the fact that you have a stone in your shoe. So even if I can't save you and I can't convert you, constantly be putting stones in people's shoes, constantly be saying things about Jesus and living in a way that makes them be like, man, what is that? Like, why is that? And make them think, leave them with something that they're going to be questioning, leave them with something they're going to be thinking about and researching. And, and when you're in the workforce, it's easy because you have such a, such a ripe harvest and mm-hmm. The harvest is plenty, but it says the workers are few. So we need more workers outside of the church to walk in obedience to God and to live in a way that's going to help people to get in the church doors, but it starts with them. So if they don't do what they're doing well, my job becomes ineffective. Gosh, that is so true. And just such a good reminder too, just like stay committed to following Christ and make your life that ministry and be that light. That's something that I just like want to remind people is just be a light for Christ. And like, Mm. you will see a difference in the way um, you live and people will notice it. It might take time, like you're saying, but people will notice it and want to ask you that question of why are you living so differently? And I think back and sometimes I think some of the most people that have impacted me the most are people who aren't like a pastor, aren't in ministry, but they are making their life as ministry and truly living for Christ. And I really saw them live like that. And it's been awesome. So that's so, so true. Um, Just like two more questions that I want to ask yeah, you, but absolutely. what is just like the, a really cool way you've seen God work in this season of your life? Hmm. Always to condense to one. It's always so difficult. <laughs> um, That's a really, that's a really good question. I like that question a lot. Um, I think one specific way that kind of came to mind immediately was we are in a, uh, we are in a place at our church right now where we're dealing with a really good problem. That's what I would call it. And it is, and you've maybe seen this as somebody that also lives in Texas, but Texas is so unique in the church world to the fact that almost every other state, if you're a Christian, you go to church. And if you're not a Christian, you don't go to church, but in Texas, even if you're not a Christian, you still kind of go to church because it's such a traditional thing. So what we run into is we have hundreds of youth coming in our doors every week that don't know Jesus and don't go to church, but they're just there because church is a cool place to be. And I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. So 
from the moment I got to Lake Point, I was like, why are there so many kids that want to be here, but don't want anything to do with Jesus? Like, how are they, why is church the place they want to be? Are they not worried that somebody's going to try to convince them to follow the Lord? So it's been a good problem. And it's been one attention I've had to learn how to manage, which is we have so many kids in here who don't know Jesus. And that's what you want in your church. Like you want to have people that you can pour out into and that I can minister to. I'd much rather have that than a bunch of church kids that aren't interested in learning and growing at all. But at the same time, it's like, how do I manage the fact that there's so many of them and how do I get to a place where I'm ministering to them? But also I'm not letting their craziness affect the ones who are here for the right reasons and making them leave. And it's like, at what point do I kick these kids out versus at what point do I try to cater to the saved? And it's like this weird tension you're always trying to ask as a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. And the way I've seen the Lord work in that is I've been praying since day one. I was like, God, just give some kind of, some kind of fire, something that we need. I call them culture carriers. Like we need students that a lot of students love. Like we need those influential students to start catching on to who Jesus is and to what he's doing. And when they come over, they'll bring everyone with them. And that's kind of the way it always is in the church world. You get a couple kids that have a lot of influence and you get them on fire and they bring people uh, like those Peters and those Pauls. So I've been praying since I got here for just a couple of students like that, ones that can just buy into our vision and that can say, I'm down and I'm going to bring everyone with me. And I, we've started to see some fruit in that. And I have a couple of kids that have really risen into that role and we are seeing crazy revival. Um, one cool story I think that would reflect that really well is we've learned that the schools are where it's at. Like if you want to get Jesus to, stu to, to students and to young people, you go through the schools and so what we do is you kind of find people that are in our congregation that work at schools and we connect with them and say, man, how can I get into your school? And so I've been trying to go through the sports teams because I'm a sports guy. And uh, we found at one of our other campuses, we, we started, we got an in to a football team. So one of our youth pastors, Andre, every Thursday, he just goes and he, and for the first couple of weeks, he was just bringing food to the football team and he was just blessing them for no reason. And eventually after a couple of months, the coach said, Hey, if you want to ever talk to them before or after practice, you can. So Andre started talking to them every Thursday and inviting them to church every Thursday. And he saw 50 kids from that football team come to church for the first time. And we went to camp and 20 of them got saved at the same wow. camp, all on the same team, all because one student was faithful enough to say, Hey, like you should come start talking to my football team. And it's guys like that where it's like the Lord is working and the Lord is moving. You just need to be faithful to maybe go to where they are instead of waiting for them to come to you. So that was a really cool moment that Bill, I've just been thinking about that constantly because the Lord is so good to, to save groups of people, not just one or two people. Yeah. Gosh, that's so awesome. That's so good. And just like such a cool way to see the Lord work. And like, that's such a good problem to have. And like, you want to bring all those kids in. That's like yeah. so awesome. Um, well, we're running out of time, but one more question is my podcast is called Celebrating Joy. And so what is yeah. this, what is something you're finding joy in right now? Hmm. That's a good question. Honestly, I don't want to be cringy, but I'm finding a lot of joy in this season, the Christmas season. I'm a uh, I'm a big Christmas guy, and it's just <laughs> Not like the mainstream things, but I enjoy the small things. Like there's, there's a different feel in the church around Christmas mm -hmm. when there's trees and there's lights and you start playing Christmas music in the atrium instead of normal worship music and just the small things that I'm like, I love the feeling of December and I love the time between after Thanksgiving and before Christmas, like that four week period. It brings me so much joy because everyone seems happier and there's always good Christmas music and the, the drinks are better at coffee shops. 
there's a bunch of small things, but I've been finding a lot of joy in that. And then also I've been finding a lot of joy in uh, just preparing for these Christmas services. We do a uh, eight over three days. Wow. So wow. just the preparation and, and like all this preparation we're putting into knowing that it's all for people that are going to step into our church that may never go any other day of the year, except Christmas. It's, it's almost like we have one opportunity to love them. Well, and we have un- one opportunity to preach the gospel in a way that is going to connect them. So the build up to that is always so exciting for Christmas, knowing that when I'm going into greet this weekend, I'm going to be meeting people that I've never seen before. And I may never see again. There's just like this extra added urgency to like, I got to love them. Well, I got to be intentional. I got to listen when they're talking to me. I got to make eye contact stuff like that, where it's like, I got to let these people know that Jesus is so in love with them. So yeah. that is bringing me a lot of joy and preparation as we're setting things up. And as we're planning and assigning roles and spots in the auditorium. It's like, I just, that gets me so excited because hundreds of people are going to come to know Jesus this weekend yeah. uh, at our church and then millions worldwide. And that's yeah. crazy for the kingdom. So Christmas is always a really good time. It brings me joy. I love that. I just love yeah. that. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the podcast and just sharing your experiences and just everything. Absolutely. Great wisdom. Um, So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye guys.